Hey guys, welcome to the Tales of Moxie podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Lee, and I'm so glad that you're here. I created this podcast with the simple desire of wanting women to have a place to share their stories. Our stories are so powerful, and God's fingerprints are evident throughout them all. So each week, I sit down with another woman who is brave enough to share her story with us. We talk all the things with no judgment. While each story is unique to the person telling it, I find that I see myself in all of them, and I'm sure that you will too. This week on Tales of Moxie, Carolyn and I got to interview Aaron Porter. Aaron has spent over 20 years as a pastor. He's the author of Soul Architecture, which we've talked about on the show before, and he's currently a recovery and relationship coach. This was a neat episode for me personally because Aaron's the person who walked me through counseling and has served as my mentor for the past six years. We talk about marriage, our roles as wives, and submission in this episode. Can I just say that these are hard topics for us to discuss with women, let alone men, so I totally understand that it might seem weird to have these conversations for the first time on this show with a man, but I need you to know that I wouldn't just let anyone speak into our lives about this. There is literally no one I trust more to have these conversations with. Aaron not only encourages women in their roles as wives, he fights for them, so trust me, we're in good hands with this episode. Also, at the end of the episode, Aaron gives a way to get in touch with him for coaching, I can't encourage you enough to reach out and get coached by him. It was literally the best thing that I've ever done. Well, welcome, Erin, to the Tales of Moxie podcast. We're really excited to have this episode because I think you're the first person we've interviewed that we know. Thank you, Jen Lee. It's a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> and if all... <laughs> If 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 only if only your listeners right now could see you on the video, they would just uh, they would love both of you that much more. Where did Jen yeah. even go? She just disappeared from the frame. She's out. I need some water. Let's start with so well. This is this is this is this is staying in the show. This is the introduction that your listeners want. We're not letting you edit it. Is the most awkward part anyway. It is the hardest And you just part. made it that much more awkward. Okay. And 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 there it is. We just had the introduction. So continue. That was perfect. And I want to say hello to all the Tales of Moxie ladies out there. It's good to be with you. Well, Erin, we are glad that you're here with us talking to us today. Um, we are excited to be talking about the topic of wives and marriage and relationships, but I got to be honest with you, my very first question would be, why should all of our female listeners listen to a man tell them how to be a good wife? That is a great question. I actually have no authoritative answer to it, because if I had an authoritative answer to why women should listen to me, a man, tell them how to be a better wife, that would be the first sign that you should not listen to me as a man tell you how to be a better wife. Um, But I will say, I think, uh, I guess I'll go back to a men's retreat that I put on, boy, it was probably close to 20 years ago. And my favorite speaker I brought out was a woman and a wife talking to the guys about what she sees. I I also used to do uh, sound for extra money in my 
younger days of marriage, and I would get hired to go do sound at women's conferences. And I would literally be the only guy sitting there with like 500 women. And I would watch too many speakers talking to other women and wives in an insider way that I, as a man, thought, man, that's unhelpful. I.e., they would be making fun of their husbands in little ways that were true, and that was all fine and funny, but it never came back around to say, okay, but though those things are true and funny, here's what we need to understand. It was usually about women, here's what you need to understand about yourselves, more than a good picture of here's how to understand him and how that's complementary to how God made you. So I think it's, it's healthy for all of us to, to get a voice that is outside of our experience so that we can see a little more clearly inside our experience. Yeah, definitely. And on the personal side, because Jenna Lee and I do know you and um, we have talked with you a lot on this subject, um, I can also add to any of our listeners who may still be concerned about your authority yeah, um, that you, <laughs> you're, you're probably one of the biggest um, advocates for women that I have ever met, actually. Um, you, in some ways, are one of the best feminists that I know. Yes. Um, and a lot of that is because you don't necessarily subscribe to all of the typical feminine rhetoric, but you are much more concerned with the power and the influence that women have over their husbands and wanting them to know that and see that and to kind of embrace the value of that. Yeah, I'm glad you added that part because that power and influence is a gift and a really cool thing. I, I love women. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, just going to let that linger for a second in total awkwardness. Yep, that sounds good. I, I, think, I think women are amazing. I think guys are amazing. But uh, honestly, I think I see a lot more women not realizing how amazing they've been created, not just in themselves, but how that fits into relationships. So that's nice. I've never been called when you said Aaron's one of the biggest at, and you went to advocate. I thought you were going to say <laughs> asshole. Um, and nope. I appreciate nope. that she didn't say that because I was sure that's where that was going. Uh, but nobody's, nobody's ever, can, can I say that on your show? Okay. Well, you just did. You kinda, do we have to put a parental rating now? Uh, the parental advisory. Explicit. So thank you. That's a, that is a very nice compliment, especially in a time where to be a man and have all of my male privilege in many circles means I don't get to have a voice. So mm -hmm. the fact that you're letting me have a voice and an opinion, that's, that's kind of special in this day and age. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious as we kind of jump into this topic, and I want to come back and circle around to the power of influence and really get your perspective on that. But I want to kind of set a foundation maybe um, for listeners since we're talking about marriage. Can you give us kind of the idea that God has set for marriage. So the biblical perspective of like what marriage is for and what's, what is intended for. And then we can kind of jump into our role as a wife. Yeah. I mean, at the most foundational level, here we are. God has, has thrust us onto this speck of dust floating around a giant universe to have an experience for a very short period of time, right? 
we're all going to be dead soon. And so the, the big why, what's, what's the point of that little experience, really comes back to knowing him. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3. This is, the, this is the surpassing greatness. It's the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. So that's important. It's not just knowing him through participation in his death and his resurrection, which is the gospel, but also through the suffering, through participating in that suffering. It's a fellowship because he was a co-sufferer with us. So everything in life ultimately isn't just for its own end to parent and be a good parent. It's because parenting gives me a glimpse to know God more. Marriage, we didn't have to have marriage, and that's so, that's such an obvious thought, and yet we don't think it. I remember when I was in junior high, uh, I picked up a worm that was in the process of uh, asexually reproducing. My science teacher then told all my other junior high friends I was artificially inseminated, and that was very embarrassing for me, and probably that shouldn't have been said to my junior high friends. But there are creatures that don't need uh, another partner to procreate. God could have made us that way. He didn't. He put us into relationship. And the first thing he says about man is that it wasn't good that he was alone. So we have all these other parts of creation. It was good. He created it. It was good. And he gets to man, and it's not good that he's alone because he wanted us to be in community. But why? Because... He, the triune God, is in community, and he gives us this opportunity within our marriages to have this miraculous union with another person so that we can know him more. And the reason that foundation is important is because we're often looking for just a better marriage as if that's a goal in and of itself. Mm -hmm. That's a cheap goal. That's a small goal. I mean, it's cool. If it happens, yay, good job. But so what? You have a better marriage for a few years, and you die like everybody else. And within that good marriage that you created with great tools, have you discovered God's love for you as a father through the personal work of Jesus? If you haven't, then your good marriage has, has yielded you little. But on the same token, if you have a hard marriage, you can still have a very purposeful marriage even within the struggles because you can know God more through it. So when that foundation's in place, then there's hope in every season, not just the good seasons. You don't have to get out of the bad seasons to have hope in your marriage. So that would... I was just, yeah, I was just having a conversation this morning with somebody um, along the similar lines of that everything can be kind of viewed through this lens of loving God or loving other people. And we were talking about it in the context of like making decisions and relationships with other people. But I think it can relate to marriage also, that how is my marriage helping me to love God better? And how is it helping me to love other people better? And I think that's similar to what you were just saying. I'll make it even easier for your listeners. And once I say this, you're going to know I was going to say it. (laughs) I don't just use my marriage as a tool to learn how to love God better. Because trying to love someone better ends up making that love a duty, which then makes that love 
uh, about me trying to fulfill a duty so I can feel something about me. Where real love happens as we discover the lovability in someone else. That's how we fall in love. We get to know someone and we go, wow, that person's lovable because of what I discovered about them. And then we learn hard stuff about them where they stop being lovable for a little while. And then we have to rediscover things about them. But love, I don't want to say it doesn't take effort because opening ourselves up to that discovery takes effort. But love itself happens as a byproduct of knowing someone more if they are lovable. The more I discover about a person, the more I will go, wow, you're amazing. And I'll fall in love with them. Now, God, if he is lovable, which I think he is, uh, as I encounter him and know him more, I will automatically love him more, which means it takes a lot of pressure off me that I don't have to try to love him better. And I hope this isn't me putting words in your mouth that I think you were saying this, Carolyn, because I know you're so much smarter than this. Right. Um, but for your for the stupid listeners, I'm explaining it for them. <laughs> we don't have any of those. Aaron. I know. I and, <laughs> and for whomever I just shamed that you thought I was talking about you, I was talking about that other person. Um, I don't have to try to love him better. I just have to know him more. And, but you're right. In the is is my goal in a moment, even when I'm loving somebody else, that in my mind and my heart, I'm saying, hey, God, I, I want to get a glimpse of you. So even as I'm loving other people, that's still not a high enough purpose. The, the bigger purpose is this person's made in God's image. There's something here that I can learn and discover about God through this person. So ultimately, is it loving God or is it loving others? Yeah, exactly. But God is never out of the equation. And then it makes everything purposeful in a, in a deep way. We don't have to go, you know, be a missionary in Cambodia to find deep purpose. Every interaction becomes purposeful. Not that there's anything wrong with being a missionary in Cambodia. <laughs> right. So I'm thinking for those listeners that are, as we've talked about, you know, how we want to talk about our role as a wife and we're listening to what you're saying and we're thinking, okay, role, even the word role sounds somewhat like a duty, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, how do we maybe preface that or word that in some sense of what we are supposed to be doing as a wife or what that looks like for us? Because, I mean, isn't there some sort of, we do have responsibilities in our marriage? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, because the second you said role, you know that I like started cringing a little bit and feeling not good. Um, and then you threw on top of that the word supposed to, and all of these things like bind our hearts up. It takes away the freedom and delight in something that was a gift. And so many roles that we've put into marriage uh, are things that we took a couple verses and then created a clear checklist of here's what the guy's supposed to do. Here's what the gal is supposed to do. And then just like in the Jewish law where God gave some laws to the Israelites and then the, 
the teachers of the law extrapolated from that every nuance and minutia. So they had hundreds more laws than God gave them. It's very similar with roles, that God gave us guidance about how he made us, and then we made a, a whole list of things that either makes us a good wife or husband or a bad one. And we really need to double-check what things are in Scripture and what things come from our traditions. So God gives us uh, some, some, pretty great, uh, some pretty great pictures of how to do this walk with one another. And it all comes back to trusting him with our marriage and trusting him with our spouse. And it goes all the way back to the garden. Uh, and man, we could just do the garden for this entire episode, couldn't we? But we won't. Short version is when we look at the garden and we say, who's taking the initiative? Who desires knowledge? Who is the passive one? Who is the leader? In the very short description we have of what happens in the garden, Eve is the one that's assertive. Eve is the one that is looking to get knowledge. Adam is passively watching this happen, and even though God gave him the rules in the garden, he's not stepping in saying, hey, Eve, this might not be a good idea. We're not supposed to do this. He does nothing. And in fact, he's the ultimate romantic in the story, because Eve gets tricked because she wants this knowledge. But it says Adam, he wasn't deceived. He wasn't tricked. Which means when he was presented with that fruit, he knew he was going to die. Because God had said, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, die, you shall surely die. There's going to be a double death going on. And when he took the fruit, he was not deceived, which means he knew he was going to die, which means he was literally doing a Romeo and Juliet and committing suicide with the same fruit she just ate that would surely kill her too. So he decided to die for his love. Now, fast forward to God presenting the consequences. What are the consequences? All right, Eve, he's in charge. Oh, what? He's the passive. I'm the one like making things happen. I'm the one trying to get knowledge. He's in charge. In that moment, I think we see that the quote roles that we were given within marriage had nothing to do with the quality of the individuals. It had to do with the stuff that we most need to trust God with and submit to him not to submit to the other person because they're worthy of it, but because we need to learn to trust God because in the garden, neither Adam nor Eve could trust God enough to keep them from making a decision based on what they think they should do and what would be best for their life. So again, this is all drawing us towards God. All right, you probably wanted other more specific things. That was more the philosophical backdrop. So if you want to ask any specifics, you can. Or you can just go like, wow, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking how what you're saying ties into submission. And you've ta- you, know, you talked about what we need to submit to God. But then also thinking about how in our 
day and age, well, and I guess in any of the day and ages, we're so used to as women, submission being a bad thing, being something that we should feel bad about, that we don't have any voice in our marriage, that because the man is the leader and the head of the house, basically we don't have a spot in there. We just have to do whatever we're told. Um, and I know that that's not exactly how you explain it. So could you kind of shed some light on what submission actually looks like? Yeah. Okay. So f you are right. I love getting to teach. When you get to teach, whether it's in a sermon from a congregation or at a conference or something, you have the best seat in the house to watch people's reactions to the horrible things you're going to say. It's so funny. It's really a lot of fun. And so when you're talking to a mixed group of people and you, and you just say, hey, we're going to talk about submission and marriage today, you have no idea how fun those moments are. I bet. So yes, to, to women specifically, I have seen that, that drawing back, I'm going to put up a, a wall, a defense, whatever's about to come down is going to be unfair to me and something I don't want to hear. But let's also note that nobody likes submission. This isn't just a woman thing. Submission, by and large, is a negative word. Uh, see, I almost, it's so great. I'm used to doing guy podcasts because I automatically am thinking the UFC and mixed martial arts. And you know what? You'd be surprised how many of your listeners, there are ladies that love watching some mixed martial arts. But it's true. It's how, true. how do you lose? You lose when they submit you, right? That's It's a losing thing. When somebody verbally or physically beats you into submission, you lose. Mm -hmm. Submission also brings up in us that, that childish reaction that we as adults still have of defiance. When I feel like you're trying to make me submit, I automatically want to do the opposite. Everybody feels that. And we also have to note that everybody is commanded to be in submission. God didn't, God didn't simply say, women, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. He also said, men, you're supposed to submit to me. You're supposed to submit to your employers. He talks about slaves to masters, all kinds of uncomfortable things that are for men. We're told that we're supposed to submit to the governments, to those in authority over us. All of us have at least... Uh, four to five areas that scriptures told us we're supposed to submit in. So it's not just women who are supposed to understand what submission is really about. God has given us all of these areas where he says, I want you to submit to somebody so that we can trust him with them. It's the reason that in our house, whenever we talk about the President of the United States, whether we like them or not, uh, the children and I have to call them president whomever. We can't just talk about Trump. We can't just talk about Obama. Because scripture tells us this is a person that God has allowed to be where they're at, and God is the ultimate authority, so you give the respect to them. And I have to say, I think uh, we'd all be a little better off if we showed a little more respect to the politicians we dislike. And there's just so many to choose from. Uh, so back to submission. Submission is only submission when we disagree. That's mm -hmm. important because I have heard so many people say things like, well, 
I'll submit, except if they do something that I disagree with. Well, that's not, that just means you do, if they happen to be doing the same thing you want to do, you do it with them and call that submission. That's not submission. That's you doing what you wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> submission is only submission when it is something that is hard and we disagree with. Now, we need to be really careful here. Submission is not an absolute principle. So even submission in marriage, and, and can I just say, when submission gets brought up in church, too often it is brought up as a solo deal. Hey, wives, let's talk about you and submission. The same passages that talk about wives and submission talk about what the husbands are supposed to be up to, which is frankly, and I'll be hard on husbands, harder on husbands than wives 99% of the time, uh, but Wives, I will say the thing that Scripture calls husbands to is way harder than what you are called to. It's it's way suckier. I would love to have your job. I know it's made both the women on this podcast uncomfortable from time to time when I said I think I would make an awesome wife and it would be fun. Uh, it just... Yep. And, and I, For the record, Aaron, I think you would be a fantastic wife. Just, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Man, there's just so much kindness and love in this show. It's a lot of fun. He's not used to this. <laughs> no. Uh, so, your husbands are called to a an incredibly high standard to love you as Christ loved the church and laid down His life for her. Uh, that's that's rough. That's huge. But I also don't think that we should be having conversations that are just about wives uh, in a message in mixed company that doesn't call husbands to the standard God has called them to. That's ridiculous. So when submission is used as a tool for a husband to get his way and bully, he's already completely left what he was called to because that looks nothing like how Christ loved the church and laid down his life for Okay, so there are limits to submission, and we get the, the two that always come to mind for me in Scripture are, are Vashti in the book of Esther, so Vashti's the, the first wife <laughs> in the story, and what we get is the, the king asking her to do something inappropriate, uh, and there's a lot of conjecture from scholars about what exactly he was asking her to do at a party in front of a whole bunch of people. But she felt morally that she could not submit to that. And she gets deposed. She's out. She's not the queen anymore. So she did not submit. And I think most people, beyond the fact that obviously God is setting up something for Esther to come in, so great. But her lack of submission was part of how God was setting that up. And I don't have any problem with Vashti not submitting in that moment. But then we also get one that I don't think we think of as a lack of submission, but it's, it's with Abigail. And we get this in, in one of the stories of David. And Abigail's obviously the best name for a woman in the whole Bible. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. My daughter's name is Abigail because, <laughs> because that word in the Hebrew means her daddy's joy. Abigail. Oh. So I know, right? <laughs> so 
Anyways, so Abby, in the Old Testament, she has a husband named Nabal. His name means idiot or fool. You just know how this story is going to turn out. (laughs) And who were his parents? That's just crazy. Um, (laughs) So Nabal, uh, how do you do this short? This is ridiculous. These are such beautiful stories to cut short. David has been roaming around in the hills. He's been protecting everybody's cattle, all their sheep, with his little band of merry men. And because of that, the ranchers around give his men some extra stuff to eat and take care of him. So he sends down to get a little something from Nabal. Nabal responds uh, with an insult. Who is this David, this son of Jesse? He's just a, a vagabond. He's enough, he, So he insults him and gives him no food. Which, let's remember, he doesn't owe David any fool food. <laughs> Sorry, the fool owed him no food. <laughs> there was no agreement between him and David. So Nabal not giving him food is technically okay. It's impolite, but it's okay. But he insults him. David then goes berserk, tells his men, mount up, we're going to kill everybody in that guy's household servants we're just going to slaughter everybody now bear in mind this is the david who's been chased by saul for years now a guy who's trying to kill him to murder him and every time what does david do with saul trust god with it and forgive saul so he can forgive the guy trying to murder him but boy don't call him names because then he's going to slaughter all the men women children dogs cats everybody's dead Abigail hears about what Nabal says, and she tells her servants, quick, get a bunch of food, let's go to David. She does the exact opposite of what her husband said they were going to do, and she goes out to David. Then she greets him with really a prophetic word, saying, this is, this is David, He's, you're going to be the king, you're God's chosen. She lays out such a picture of who he is who God sees him as, that his heart is struck and he can't believe what he was about to do. So, is that a lack of submission? Uh, as, As far as my understanding of submission, Abigail was not submitting to her husband. So, does God punish her for that? No, God kills her rotten husband and marries her off to David. She was like, you know, it's number three wife or something. It was, it was a good position. There was going to be a lot more. Uh, it's an important story. Why was her lack of submission appropriate? As I look at that, she was protecting her family. Her whole family was under threat of violence. And as I talk to a lot of women who are in situations where they're being abused, where their children are being abused, but they're confused, and sometimes even the church is saying, this is how you're supposed to suffer for Christ, I'm thinking, wow, you've elevated the idea of submission beyond all of the commands to love, where love always protects. So now you are an unloving person betraying love because you think submission is more important than love. But I think they haven't heard that, so they're confused because submission is the most important thing. It's, it's not. It's a thing. And ultimately, the purpose of submission is for me to submit to God, to trust Him. So, back to that, submitting to a, a husband is, bottom line, 
I am trusting God with my husband. If I choose to try to control my husband when I disagree, then I'm the one that's going to take the consequences. Submission is getting out of the way so that God can hit him and I don't get in the way. I want God to deal with him, and I'm not going to play God when I disagree. And that goes the same for me when I've been in submissive relationships with a boss, with someone uh, at church that is in authority, and they decide to go a direction that I don't think I don't think it's a great direction. But ultimately, oh, this too, geez, there's so much. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Submission it does not equate to silence. And I grew up in a tradition where women were supposed to be silent in their marriages. That's what submission was. That's stupid. If uh, I always think of like if if I'm on the Titanic and I'm like a I don't know, what's a what's like a private in the navy? I don't know the terms. We'll have to we'll call him a mini <laughs> a, a, a mini sailor. I don't know, that's a horrible name for him. <laughs> a private uh, is good. Okay. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm like a private. The admiral's up in the cabin. You know, the captain, he's steering the ship. I see an iceberg coming, but I'm like, I'm only a private. I, it's not my place to, to tell the captain what to do. So I'm not going to say anything. And then you run into the iceberg. Uh, okay. Were, were you being a good partner? Uh, your submission in your silence, that makes sense? That was, of course not. Submission and silence are not the same thing. And we were put into partnerships with our spouse. Wives are supposed to have an opinion. They are supposed to have a brain. God gave them all the stuff so that they could have a partnership with another person. The husband cannot see everything. The wife cannot see everything. They do this together. So when submission is being sold as silence, it's completely inappropriate. So, uh, back to what submission is. If I have said what I think, let me, let me just put it in my life, because I'm not a wife. When I have disagreed with those who are in authority over me, I would sit down and I would talk to them and tell them, this is why I think this is a bad decision. One of three things would happen. Number one, they would agree with me and say, wow, okay, that's great. You're right. We're not going to go that direction. Two, they would say, that's really interesting. Okay, let's modify what I wanted to do. And then they would kind of do what they were doing, but they would add in some of the nuances of what I said. Or three, they would totally ignore what I said because they disagreed with it and they did what they wanted. Anyways, now at that moment, and that certainly has happened in my life, I had a choice to make. I would walk out of the office and I have a choice. Am I going to let everybody know, yeah, this thing we're going to do for the next, like, six months? I think it's ridiculous, and I, I told them it's ridiculous. But, I mean, I'm going to do it, but it's ridiculous. Okay, I'm not submitting right now. I'm absolutely not in submission. Not in my heart and not in my behavior. For me to submit is to say, okay, God, it's now out of my control. That person is responsible I might have some of the consequences coming my way, but that person's responsible, so I'm going to trust you with them. And if anybody asks me about this thing that's going to happen, they're not even going to know it wasn't my idea because it's my job to be a partner 
to this person that God put me with and put an authority over me. And in that way, I'm ducking. I'm getting out of the way so that as God deals with this other person, I'm not getting in the way of it by trying to fix them. Uh, one of my favorite speakers, Evie Hill, and you can, you can YouTube this on YouTube now. Evie Hill was a preacher in Los Angeles and gave one of my favorite stories about this. Uh, he was actually giving, he was preaching over his wife's body at her funeral when he told this story. Uh, actually, I don't remember if his wife's actual body was there, so I don't want to be inaccurate, but this was at her funeral. And he told of a time when he was living in Texas, and he wanted to invest their savings in filling stations. He wanted to buy gas stations. And his wife said she thought that was a bad idea. She spoke up. She gave her opinion. And he ignored her, put the money in, and within a relatively short time, lost all of their savings. And he came home, he said on the day that he lost all their money, like a, like a dog with his tail between his legs, just knowing he was going to get it from his wife. And he sat down with her, and uh, she, was, she was already sitting at the table with a bunch of papers spread out in front of her. How intimidating is that? <laughs> and, and she says, come sit down, Evie. He sits down, says, I've been, I've been doing some calculating. You lost this much money in those filling stations. But I've calculated if you were a drinking man, a smoking man, a gambling man over the last number of years in our lives, this is the amount that you would have lost in those things. And it comes out to basically the same thing. So, six in one hand, half dozen in the other, don't think on it anymore. And he said, and the Lord gave. What an amazing thing that she did everything she was supposed to do, and he made a foolish decision, and it cost them money. But at that point, she still knew that this was in God's hand, and she was going to be a partner to him instead of his parole officer, making sure that he walks the straight and narrow after that. And do you think she got a better husband or a worse husband out of that action? I hope it was a better one. <laughs> well, I like E.V. a lot, so I just, I'm assuming that. He's a great preacher. <laughs> He's passed away, too, but you can just YouTube him all day. It'll be great. <laughs> all right. I, I rambled on. I don't know if I answered any of your thoughts or if any of that was coherent. Yeah, I think you did, because submission is such a hot-button topic, and I think you did cover it fairly well. Um, but I'm also thinking of the other command for wives in the Bible, which is to respect your husband. And I remember learning this in college and reading about how husbands were supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church, as you just talked about. And then in response, women were supposed to respect their husbands. And I remember thinking, I got the better deal out of this. Like he has to sacrificially love me in the same way that Christ loved the church. And all I have to do is respect him. That's pretty easy. I got that covered. Um, but and, I love that. And then you got married. Come on, add that. And <laughs> yeah. then you got married. And my eyes were open. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love that you talk about how that's, it's not just respect in the sense that, you know, I told my son to respect his teacher. Like this is a different kind of reverence or awe that we're supposed to have for our husbands. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too that you, you know, that when we're listening to 
even the story with Evie that we're thinking that must have been really hard. While while we're like saying that, you know, in, in kind of a light way, as wives or as for myself in marriage, that's really hard. If I see something and I'm thinking that I can see it a specific way, I'm thinking that it's my job to protect my family and to protect my kids and like to to make sure that we're not, it's not just, you know, him and I, it's children too. And there's a whole lot of other stuff going on when I submit. So I think it's important to kind of say that the, this doesn't, it's not always going to be easy. There's big things that we're going to submit on that are going to feel really, really hard. And that, like you said, there are consequences that we can briefly say, but in real life, that's a huge deal. So I think that's important to kind of make, not okay. take light, but yeah, yeah. kind of make weight up. Well, and let me, I'll touch on that. And then I will come back to what you said, Carolyn. Um, so to wrap up the submission part, uh, this, what makes it difficult is our judgment of what success or failure is going to be. Our judgments on, well, see, that was a failure is a very short term deal. It means I had an outcome in mind and it's not the outcome I wanted. So in the Evie Hill story, it's the, we failed because we didn't make money. Okay, but please picture that is just one little step. God's view is a lot bigger than that. The day that Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating the Israelite and ran away, was that a success or failure? Well, I'm going to put murder in the failure category. However... <laughs> There is still the story that's ongoing, and him fleeing to the wilderness would send him out for 40 years to be in a strange preparation for what God was going to call him back to. So we have to remember that when I am letting go of those things that I see as failure, that is so hard because I saw a better way and you didn't listen to me, I also don't know how God is going to be using that for a bigger end, and that's what I have to be trusting him for in that moment to be able to be a person like Evie Hill's wife that can say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in the man right now because for the next steps, I need the better man. So I'm not going to sit with what I perceive as failure in this moment. I'm going to trust God with the next moment, and that's what's going to give me the encouragement and strength to make those hard choices and they are hard choices that was your point i just belabored it all right back to what you said carolyn uh not just respect but reverence uh the passage you're talking about uh, wives are told to look to sarah and how she was as a wife who reverenced her husband uh as lord not uh uppercase lord as in god but as in the boss now, I think it's important that we note that that verse is related to Sarah because she had a questionable level of submission in my mind. Uh, how did she submit to Abraham? Twice he lied, said he was she was his sister, and she ended up in the harem of another person. That then God had to like start striking people down to terrify those guys. 
so that they would say, what's going on? Who is this lady? And then send her home to Abraham. If a husband puts a wife like tomorrow in the situation where she'll end up in another guy's harem, I'm saying maybe that's one of those moments where saying no is reasonable. But it's kind of the ultimate faith for her. I mean, she trusted God. We, we see Abraham in those stories, and what a ridiculous thing. And, and he made out on, on those, you know, they're like, get away from here. Your God's doing all this stuff. And here, take tons of money and sheep. And, like, it's amazing <laughs> how God blesses us when we don't deserve it as often as he blesses us when we do. We're Christians. We don't do karma. We don't get what we deserve. Uh, that's not the gospel. So anyways, she is the example of someone who, who is saying like, yeah, I'm going to trust God despite my husband not being trustworthy. And she reverenced him. And that word is just loaded. It's a, it's a word that says, I am in awe. And the, the cool thing about this, there's a cool thing and there's a practical thing. And maybe the practical thing's cool. I don't know. The cool thing is how much when we actually follow God's way of being married, it meets the psychological needs of our spouse. So a husband as a leader, as Christ was the leader, and we won't do the long version, but I'll just say, what did Jesus do? He died so that I could participate in his death and resurrection now I have the Holy Spirit. So he has, he's equipped me to be who he created me to be. I can't be fully me if I'm not the Spirit-empowered Aaron. So he equipped me for it. He empowered me for it. The equipping, he gave me the gifts to do it. And then he's encouraging me to be fully me, Empowered by him, not the me that I thought I wanted to be when I wanted to be an astronaut or a baseball player, but the me that God has envisioned for me. So when a husband is loving and leading as Christ does, first he has to know his wife, or there's no way he can do any of those things. And wives, I mean, there's two of you here. How does it feel when you sense your husband is exploring you, trying to know you more deeply. I want to know what's in your heart, what's in your head, who you are, and that he doesn't stop doing that after like the third year of marriage. <laughs> what does that feel like? <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's the hope. And I think that's the desire of all of that is that we would be known. And that in itself makes him more trustworthy to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, I'm talking to two head people. I want to know how it feels. What's the emotion <laughs> when that happens? It feels good. Is that an emotion? I will take good as an emotion. It feels like right. joy. <laughs> there you so, go. There you go. So then, as, as he knows you, then he says, my job here, being your husband, is to empower you in any way I can for you to be the most amazing version of you and to encourage you to it and to equip you in any way to be more fully you. 
it's not that the husband's job is to do all the stuff. Look at how Christ led the church. Who did he give the church to? Us. We are the ones participating. We're the ones telling people the good news of who Jesus is. We're the ones uh, playing guitar and worship bands. Jesus could do all of those things better. So it's not about who can do it best, because the answer would be Jesus. I mean, just saying that, I've never thought of this before, but can you imagine how amazing it would be to have Jesus leading worship on guitar? That'd be amazing. I mean, it, it almost it feels weird to even say that, but why would it? Jesus had, I mean, he loved singing. He was here on earth as a Jewish man 2,000 years ago. Those were some singing and dancing men in that culture. And I, uh, we, even saying that. Can we do that in heaven? Can we, can yes. we have like guitar Jesus in heaven concert? <laughs> I have, yeah, we're given a glimpse of heaven and there is singing happening. So yeah, and, right. and just saying that, there's like a longing in my heart. Like I want to hear Jesus sing so bad. Yeah. And we have the picture in the Old Testament where God is singing over us. Like that's part of how he expresses his love is through his song. So anyways, uh, Jesus can do it all better. So the husband's job is not to do stuff, but if he's loving his wife as Christ loved, then he's really all about equipping and empowering her, serving her to be more fully her. And man, as far as how women have been wired by God, that just hits all the emotional buttons. That that lady is going to feel loved, cherished, and her battery is going to be fully charged. Now, what does God say that the wife's supposed to be doing? Okay, reverence your husband. Follow Sarah's example. Have this like wow factor, because that's the reverence, right? It's the awe. Now, how often... Does your husband come home and that's that's your automatic response? Like, wow, look at that man who just walked through my door. And he It's every night, Or I was gonna say, maybe not in that tone. <laughs> every night. <laughs> All right, maybe I shouldn't have asked you both, you know, personally. That was unfair. Uh <laughs> It's not a natural reaction, and the reason is fair. We aren't worthy of that. We're not. So the fact that my wife doesn't do that naturally is not a surprise to me. It's not even a disappointment because I think I deserve the lack of that response. But that's not what you're responding to as a wife. You know that your husband is in the image of Christ, and if God was to come an hour before your husband came home from work, and you were home, and he said, hey, can I, I want to reintroduce you to your husband. Let me describe him to you. And God told you everything he saw about your husband, right? So it goes, I was just talking to my youngest son about Gideon two days ago, and how the whole story starts out with Gideon hiding in a wine press from the Midianites, a coward who is afraid. And the rest of his story, he's going to prove he's a coward who's afraid. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, comes up to him and greets him, and the name he gives him is Mighty Warrior. 
If that story doesn't show us that God has a very different vision of who we are than we have of ourselves or we have of others, nothing will help us. So if your husband was introduced to you by the name that he would give your husband, in that hour of God talking about your husband, when your husband walked in the door, I guarantee you, you would have a feeling starting in your core of, wow, I can't believe I'm married to that guy. What we have to find, what we as wives have to find, darn it. (laughs) I like it. is the vision of how God sees your husband, not a vision of how you see him because he was cranky and irritable all weekend and he wasted the days you had off with the family. You're supposed to have family time and he was grumpy while he was doing it and then he didn't even want to do it and went off by himself and uh, went and read the paper, binge-watched Gilmore Girls. (laughs) I don't even know what that show is, but... But I'm sure there's some husbands that love it. Uh, I mean, you see that. But now it goes to the emotional deal. For a man, he so wants to feel valued like you see him as special. He wants to feel desired. And when you have that reaction to a husband, it fills him up with a confidence that he is those things that God would say he is. When we don't have those reactions, then he's going to be constantly seeking them at work. He's going to try to find validation in all kinds of ways that aren't helpful to his soul or your marriage. So by following God's way of being married, it's not about this person being qualitatively less than that person. It's about God calling us to love each other in such a way that meets our core needs. And then we watch things grow out of that. So it almost sounds like, I want your clarification on this, because it almost sounds like you are telling wives to love the potential they see in their husbands. And I don't think that's what you mean. I'll give it a both and. I mean, that, uh, that can feel uh, unloving to some people, where they would say, like, what, you don't love who I am, you only love who I could be? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still want to pause on that, because even when my wife responds to me as, I know who you are, I know it's hard for you to feel that right now. It's hard for you to live that out right now. But I know who you are. I'm actually okay with that because I know when I'm not being the me that God made me to be. But you are loving the person that has all that in them. So it it is you are loving them now, here and now. But you you have something more specific in your mind, Carolyn. You just say it. Don't put it in a question. I'm not going to come up with the right answer. What are you thinking? (laughs) Well, I think you did just say it, that you are wanting wives to say, I know who you are, not I know who you could be, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think that easily turns into manipulation on the part of the wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I know you could be this amazing dad and this amazing husband, and you could do things in the way that I would like. So I'm going to try to speak those things into you, so to speak, Mm -hmm. just so that I can create the man I want. Yeah, so start fixing him. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. That is a that is a much better way of of saying it. Uh, in that introduction, God would give when even when he came to Gideon, he made it a statement in the present. It was not a potential for the future. This is who your mm-hmm. husband is. Even if there's layers of brokenness over that, even mm-hmm. if there's layers of anger or frustration, this is who he is. It's just, am I going to take God's view of this or not? And this is hard. You're not going to be perfect at this. Samuel mm-hmm. was an amazing guy. He was the last judge of Israel, a prophet of Israel, and he saw what happened with Saul. And Saul was made king just because of how he looked. And then he was sent off to Jesse's house to have a new king. And what did he do? He thought the best-looking sons were the the next king. He literally did the same thing that happened with Saul. And God's response in 1 Samuel 16 was, God does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That is our constant struggle. We do not see as God sees. So we better be in prayer asking God to show us who our spouse is. How does he see them? And then holding on to that vision as tight as we can. And I think that's how submission and reverence go hand in hand, too. That that's why you need both of those things. They're meant to work together. It's not meant to be submitting to someone that you don't like just because you're told to submit. It's you're submitting to someone that you respect and that you are in awe of because of who God created them to be. Like that submission feels a lot less like a duty and a role and a lot more like a joy. Yeah, and it's so much easier to hold precious what God holds precious than to try to conjure a feeling that they're precious. Mm -hmm. God already thinks your husbands are precious. He's (laughs) so in love with your husbands. And if you can find that, then just feeling that they're precious won't be nearly as hard as you waiting for him to prove his preciousness through his behavior. (laughs) Then you'll treat him as such. We're way too crappy for that. Well, that's just a good reminder, even for us now. Uh, I feel like we could have this conversation and we could continue going and going and going. And there's so much more that I want to ask. And um, we're going to have that opportunity and and more things to come. But is there anything else that you maybe want to add or anything that you want to tell wives, encourage wives in right now before we kind of wrap up? I don't know. Just talking about all of this is, again, makes me just want to tell wives like pursue this it's so much fun (laughs) like it's joy in it and I talk to wives every week uh, throughout the week we talk through their lives and too many wives are miserable when the joy is right there And the joy is not predicated upon the success of their husbands being awesome. The joy is in Jesus and this amazing opportunity you have in your marriage to find him and to know him and then to to find the miraculous connection with that husband that you've been given. 
and it's not it's not all roses, but it's a journey worth taking, and there's joy in it. It's a fight worth having. So it's just yeah. The only thing I want to say to wives like go go fight for it. Be yeah. awesome. Because mm-hmm. I'm a and feminist, talk- evidently. Right. <laughs> Aaron Porter, the feminist. That's right. <laughs> And you talked about the fact that you talk with women about this all the time and you've worked with both Carolyn and I on all sorts of things. Um, this is what you do. Is there some way that women can get in touch with you if this is something that they're wanting more coaching in their relationship or their marriage? Do you work you know, with couples? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I, I love to do relationship coaching, especially for those that want uh, the gospel to be at the center of that to discover how to find God's love for them as they navigate their marriage. Uh, So I coach individuals. I love coaching couples. um, And usually that is coaching two people individually and then bringing those journeys together because we we have to work on our own stuff uh, so that we can... Uh, bring it into our marriage. So yeah, I do both of those things and I love doing those things. And I am available for anybody that wants to, to kind of make that commitment to, to really work, to practice um, weekly. So if anyone wants to get a hold of me, you can just write me at Aaron at AaronPorterCoaching.com. That's A-A-R-O-N, not E-R-I-N, which is a girl's spelling, or <laughs> A-R-R-O-N, which was Elvis's middle name spelling. No, mine is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at AaronPorterCoaching.com. <laughs> and this is something that they can do from all over, oh, right? Yeah. This- See, you are so smart. Uh, yes, I, I do almost all of my coaching remotely. We use Zoom, which is a conference app, so it can fit into anyone's schedule. They can do it from home. They can do it uh, just today. I coached somebody uh, that was in the woods on a hotspot on their phone, and it was uh, I got to soak up the, the beauty of some, some Southern California woods from here in Tennessee. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and for explaining all the things and for having, being able to come back because that's what we're going to be asking even more questions about um, next time. But thank you for being the advocate for us and for walking both of us through all of this and for being someone that we trust enough to come on this podcast as a voice, even being a male on a woman's, <laughs> a woman's topic. So thank you for that. So fun. And even, hey, you, even, a, even a lowly male. Uh, and and you did <laughs> you did say I get to come back, but can we can we see if your listeners have any questions of their own? Because that would be yeah. super fun. Yeah. We want we yeah. want the stump stump the boy in the room kinds of questions. <laughs> There's the challenge, ladies. Send us questions. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. And I will look forward to uh, to coming back and doing it again and hanging with all you ladies. We look forward to it, too. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want quotes from each episode or want to find and reach out to the awesome people interviewed, please find us on Instagram under at Tales of Moxie and follow us for all the details and for info on who will be on the show in the weeks to come. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at talesofmoxie at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.